0: All right, how's it going this morning, fellas? Awesome. Hey, uh, good to see you guys. Um, When I was asked to share uh, this message, um, I I thought the same question you guys are probably thinking right now, what's this guy doing up here? And so um, the only thing I could come up with is that, well, um, I, I raised three boys. The youngest one moved out a few months ago, and none of them are in jail. So, um, hey, that's huge. Amen. <laughs> it's all him. <laughs> uh, huge accomplishment given my background, but, um, you know, glad to see you glad, you guys, glad to be here. I just want to share um, a few verses, a few passages from the scriptures and some experiences that I've learned along the way raising uh, our, our boys along with my wife, uh, raising our boys. So, had a lot of fun doing it, learned a ton of stuff. And uh, so that's what I plan to share with you guys. Um, one of the first times I realized that I may not be up for this gig was uh, when we were going through birthing classes when we were pregnant with my, my firstborn son, Silas. Okay, uh, the thing we did is we did these Bradley classes. And so uh, we went each week for several weeks, and uh, while Angela was pregnant and um, you know, they teach you all about nutrition and activity and what to expect and all that kind of stuff. And I figured, you know, I'm a young guy. I'm like, uh, you know, 23 years old. And, um, you know, I, I've been a kid. I kind of know uh, what's going to happen. W- what do I need to do this? But, you know, it's, it's the 90s and it's what everybody's doing now. So we go to this class each week. And um, everything was going cool until we got to the very last evening, the last one. And uh, we were talking, and the nurse who was instructing was sharing, and, um, and then she had everybody sit down, and she says, okay, now we're going to show you guys um, a live birth. And she sticks this uh, VHS tape in, and I figure, okay, well, whatever, you know, and I'm just like, okay, home stretch, we can muscle through this. And I've seen movies, okay, <laughs> I've uh, watched stuff, but this was something I was not re- prepared for at all. I was watching, you know, and I was just at times trying to avert my eyes. And um, at, at some point, something weird happened, and um, I just locked in to what was on the TV screen. And um, and then, you know, it, this became the only time in my entire life that I had ever passed out. I, Seriously, to this day, I I was watching, and then what my wife tells me happened is that I started making these funny noises, and I I joke around, so she figured, well, he's just messing around, and she's like, honey, come on, try to just stay focused here, and then she tells me I continue to make these weird noises, and then all of a sudden, I just plopped over, out cold, Roberto Duran, white towel, game over. (laughs) So the nurse comes over and kind of helps me come to my senses, and next thing you know, she's telling me, okay, you know, are you okay? And then she's telling my wife, um, you, you better take the keys uh, and drive home tonight, you know, and I'm like, I, I, I got this. I, I can drive. I'm fine. What? I'm good. I'm good. At that point, I realized maybe I do need help. Maybe there are some things for me to learn about what lies ahead, and I got to tell you, Even though it was our first, um, you know, we got there, um, it was actually about three weeks before our due date uh, when Angela began to have these signs, you know, these signs, these birth pains, if you will. And uh, it was after a night that we'd been out and we went to pizza and, uh, you know, came home and I figured, well, you know, there's no way it can be that. And she's telling me, middle of the night, you know, I think this might be it. And I'm like, honey, in my infinite wisdom, you just, you're fine. It's like, through it couldn't be that, but honey, why don't you just, you know, try to just maybe shift over and try to go back to sleep. And this went on for an embarrassingly long amount of time in the evening finally, I was like, okay, well, let's go ahead and call the hospital. Let them know, you know, what's going on. And so, we're like, okay, here's, here are the things that are happening. And then the nurse at the hospital said, you're going to have this baby. That, that is exactly what happens before you're going to give birth. So, we rushed down there, and we got to the hospital right about 6 a.m. on a, I think it was a Sunday morning. And uh, Silas was born by 8 a.m. In my wisdom and insight, I almost messed up the whole thing, despite having gone to classes and everything else. Um, now, here's the thing. Now, I, I mean, I'm not really good. I wish I was better with blood and, and stuff and just things of that nature. We get in there to this hospital room, and I could have been, I mean, I felt like I was on another planet. Um, you know, I mean, she's going through this, and the nurses are doing that, and the doctor's coming in, and stuff is happening. And um, I, I was in there looking like I saw a ghost. Um, if We have this picture right when Silas was born, and uh, it's me and Angela and little baby Silas. Minutes after he was born, Angela's all happy and smiley. There's the baby there looking like a newborn baby, and then there's me looking like I just saw a ghost. I mean, I, I could not smile and look like, overjoyed for the life of me. It was just, it was just an intense experience, man. Uh, but, uh, you know, over the years, the Lord has uh, definitely blessed us, man. We've learned a ton of stuff and, and enjoyed the whole ride. And, um, you know, uh, it's just something that you need to prepare for, but you can't fully be prepared for. Uh, I want to share three points today. And the first thing I want to share with you guys is what I will call the cautionary tale. I want to just start, if you will, with some, with some cautionary stuff. Just stories you've heard and things that I've seen that should be huge warning signs to us about raising kids. The cautionary tale. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is a guy in the Bible that you guys know a ton about, um, but, but this part of his life isn't something that uh, we necessarily focus on, because King David was one of the most accomplished and effective people that we've ever talked about. That is in the Bible. He's a man after God's own heart, uh, just a, a battle-hardened warrior, uh, an effective king, etc., Um but did he have any flaws? If he could do it all over again, do you think he might change a thing or two? Think about what it was that divided the nation of Israel. It was basically tied to some family issues that David didn't attend to, in my opinion. Things that should have been dealt with better, significantly better, as I see it. What happened? Well, David was out fighting battles and winning wars and conquering kingdoms and increasing the size of his nation. Meanwhile, there were these things going on within his family. Without going into a ton of details, you guys know. But there was sexual sin. There was discord and anger. And then there was fighting and even murder going on under David's nose. Next thing you know, one of the kids is leaving town. And even that wasn't dealt with. There was this bitterness and division, and that wound up with a battle and with death. And then later on, this trickles down into the kids still being divided and the nation as a whole being divided. Does that stuff ever happen with families today? I mean, uh, never, at least not with uh, athe Creekers. Um, and so, I mean, that's one of the things, and, you know, with my situation um, and, uh, you know, with our family and, and our extended family, this was one of the things that we never wanted to see is just division, discord, hatred. And so it's something that we kind of have worked through. Now, in, in my my past, you know, my wife and I, we've had two different kinds of families and upbringings. Uh, she had this this. Uh, You know, really cool, almost storybook upbringing. You know, it was a Catholic church background, but they were very super family-oriented. You know, the family, extended family, the dinners and get-togethers, the parties, it was just all about the family. With me, it was totally opposite growing up broken home. I mean, discord and darkness. It was just a dark place, my home. Never wanted to be there. Ironically, my dad was always saying, hey, why don't you spend more time at home? I was thinking, well, because it's really dark and there's a lot of hate and stuff in my mind, I'm thinking. As a kid growing up, I only had a couple of prayers. I didn't become a Christian until I was a senior in high school, but I just had a couple things I would pray regularly as I was a kid and even into junior high. One was that the Dallas Cowboys would win, and that's seldom answered, if it is at all. (laughs) I grew up in the Bay Area, and, um, you know, I had a bunch of buddies, and there's a bunch of Niner fans down there, so we're always butting heads over this. I was there, I lived through the catch. Still have to relive that every time I'm watching football, Um, but we're always going at it with that stuff. So, I mean, I I was so intense with this, me and my buddies, I I would even pray, God help Dallas just to take it to the Niners and just come on, you know, come on. And so, the other prayer that I literally had many a time going to bed at night was, God, fix my family. There was just all manner of sin in my house, just sexual sin and and uh, drugs and uh, you know my my brother and my dad wound up in jail multiple times. Um, I got to pick up my dad from prison before uh, those kinds of things, and so it was just a dark place and um, and I just you know even before I was a believer, I, I would pray God, fix this, help me to not have this someday and so uh, there 's all these stories without going into all the darkness and all the bad stuff that I've gone through, you've gone through, one thing we can say is, these things happen for a reason. And there's a lot of reasons, one of which is so you and I can learn. If there's one thing you and I can take from our childhood is, you know, what was done well? You know, what can I draw from and, you know, what what would I change? I mean, it's great stuff to think through, to pray through. I think even Moses would attest to uh, that notion, you know, th- uh, paying attention to the family, not neglecting things at the homestead. Um, you know, here's two guys, Moses and David, that did a ton of great stuff. You know, they're, gonna, they're like first ballot Hall of Faith members. These guys are big time having led people through the desert and conquered kingdoms and written psalms and all the rest, raised up mighty men from those who were distressed, in debt, and discontented. These are impressive people who did a lot, but were they perfect? You know, they'd they'd probably be the first to say no. Do, even if you and I are doing great stuff, is it All good, even at the expense of neglecting things at home. I mean, I bet you if David could do it all over again, he'd be like, you know what, we've got to just do some more family devos. We've got to get down to business and get our hands dirty and fix some things here with the the chitlins. Too often, you know, we think, well, you know what, we're going to go to church or we're going to be at a Christian school or mom will handle it or whatever. And so one of the things we'll talk about is just how we can be involved and be effective with that kind of stuff. Cautionary tales, man. There's stories all over the place. In the Bible, in the news, uh, maybe even in your family, my family, that we can learn from. The cautionary tales. The next thing I want to touch on and uh, spend probably most of the time in is what I will call the painted picture. The painted picture. You know, it's one thing to just talk about and discuss, you know, here's how you do it, here's what you do, or, you know, here's what the Bible says, here's how we need to be, and all that stuff, but what about here's what it looks like? You know, let's, let's kind of watch a proverbial video in the Scriptures you know, if we could paint a picture of what, you know, a godly, loving husband and father and cohesive, tight, strong family looks like, here it is kind of thing. And that's why I'm so thankful for these scriptures. Uh, because if you want to flip open to Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, I think God, um, among other places, gives us this great view and paints a really clear picture of what he wants. Throughout the scriptures, all over, you see instruction and direction and vision around family and leadership and parenting, but here is one of the places we actually kind of see it painted for us in Deuteronomy chapter six through eight. We don't have time to go through a lot of this, but I do want to touch on a few verses in Deuteronomy chapter six. Uh, if you go down in Deuteronomy chapter six, it says in verse six, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Interesting. So, you know, the Bible could just say here, you know, Talk about the word now and then. But it kind of goes into this detail about, you know what? Talk about it. Kick it around. Later on in the chapter, it talks about what to do when your kids ask you about it. God, you know, Dad, why does the Bible say this? Or why is the Bible written that way? And then we're instructed as fathers, well, tell them we've been through stuff. You know, we Israelis, we've been through some hard times there in Egypt and through the wilderness. And here God's giving us the safeguard guidelines on how to stay close to him and away from sin and darkness. Huge picture in Deuteronomy 6 that we would do well to pay raft attention to. One thing we can say about this is um, is what it does not say. One of my my biggest flaws or or biggest mistakes as a dad was um, I tried to kind of um, structuralize teaching and leading and parenting. And so what I did when my kids were little preschoolers is I said, okay, every Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, we're going to have a Bible study and go through the Word. And that's going to be my parenting we're going to instruct you guys and go through the Bible, take a whole book, verse by verse. That's why I sat my family down, and for Tuesday night, you know, for weeks, we would just kind of go through the Bible. It was the most dead, ineffective means of ministry I've ever attempted at home. Um, not that we shouldn't teach our kids, it was just the way I approached it. Uh, I was just like too formalized, and, and, and that, be, that became a theme actually in my home. Uh, a lot of times, the more I would try to formalize stuff, the less effective it would be. When you're walking along the way, talk about it, tie it on yourself, put it on your house. It's just there, meal times, whatever. And so you know when my kids were young, oftentimes when we put them to bed, that would be Bible time. And we'd crack open a little kid Bible, and we'd go through David and Goliath. And rather than just teach verse by verse, dad would act it out, and mom would be right there, and the kids would be involved, and we'd have a big Goliath come out, and we'd have David coming out there, and we'd have the thing, and he'd get hit and act out and bounce against walls. and, and, And the kids locked in. I mean, no problems retaining attention in those years. And I highly encourage you dads of young kids, man, to have a time where you can just have fun with some of those Bible stories. Well, I don't know those Bible stories. Learn them. Learn one or two of them and utilize them, man. Work them. One thing about those kinds of things is when kids become teenagers, that that won't work out that well. You know, when your kids are like 15, you're going... Okay, son, have a good night. Let me tuck you in. Now, one day David came out to the battlefield and met Goliath. Oh, oh, oh. I defy the nation of Israel. Oh, oh, oh. That's not going to resonate, okay? <laughs> That's going to be a joke. Um, what, what do you do? What can you do when your kids get older? You almost have to be kind of covert and stealth. Because the regimented thing like every night at this time or or this kind of Bible story that way, for us, what worked well when our kids became teenagers is too much of the time, let them pick. Let them pick when we're going to have a little Bible story or Bible time. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, um, as you guys may have realized, teenagers are kind of like mutants, They've kind of been taken over by some alien species much of the time, so it appears. Now, they're great. I love me some teenagers. However, um, a lot of the time, it's like, what in the world? Who are you? I mean, you ask them a question, and they respond with, huh? You tell them something super clearly, like, here's what I'm trying to say to you, and they respond with, after about a five-minute pause, wait, what? And it's like, what is going on? I mean, your mom, your, your wife talks to them, and they just kind of give her lip and all this stuff. And it's like, wait a second, what is going on with you? I mean, we just had some fun. We just talked. We just went and did this or did that. And now we get this? I mean, just know, let me just say this. I think, you know, and, and I, gotta, I do have to say this, you know, I raised three boys. We had three boys. I did not have girls. I don't know what I would do if I did have girls. Dudes, in a certain way, are kind of resilient, and, um, you know, they're just sort of a little, you know, you can bounce things off of them and just sort of be a little bit um, rough with them. I don't know what I would do if I had a daughter in the home. God bless you guys that do. Some of this stuff may not apply. Some of it you might need to tweak or translate a little bit with the ladies. But with dudes, I know one thing, and that is when they get to these teenage years, um, they enter into what I affectionately referred to as the wild Mustang syndrome. Um, you know, you could be loving on them and hanging out with them and doing stuff and caring for them, providing, putting food in their mouths, which they can eat. Last night, we had our movie night here with the grade school kids, and we had a good 30 or 40, uh, you know, helpers, high schoolers, junior hires, other folks helping us out. It was awesome. Watched the original Jungle Book, tough to beat, even have bonus scriptures in that movie. You talk about old school, good times. So, of course, we had uh, one of the most high level of nutritious meals during our event, pizza. Uh, The food triangle we're supporting. And so, um, you know, we're eating, and the kids, most of them are good with two, three pieces. One of our high schoolers, the last time I checked in on him, he had 12. That's basically a whole entire pie, and he wasn't even coming up for air. It was like, oh, this is just kind of an appetizer, kind of a deal. (laughs) These guys could eat. So you might be, you know, caring for your kids and your teenagers, helping them out doing stuff, and you still get this stuff they still crack back at you and mouth off and get this attitude and all this stuff. And you're like, many of us are tempted at that time to go, man, what, what's, what's my problem? You know, maybe I'm not going to church or in the Word. Maybe it's I'm not praying enough. Maybe there's something that I said that didn't. And, and I, while we should bring our kids to church, pray for them, devos, the whole thing, um, I am of the belief that no matter what we do, you will still get these problems with teenagers. And I, part of it isn't really necessarily anyone's fault. When a dude becomes 13, 15, 17 years old, he, in fact, it might be a, a positive. The dude needs space. He is starting to show signs of becoming an alpha male. He's starting to show signs of being a silverback. He wants to lead. He believes he knows what's going on. It's a tough line to walk as a dad. You know, when you got a kid in your house that believes he now knows what's up, but he doesn't. How do you, I mean, that is one of the deepest holes of an argument and discussion you will ever enter into, and you will enter into it. It's like you're explaining something, here's how it's got to be, here's the chores you need to do, here's what we expect, here's when you need to get up, here's what you, got and they're like, that's dumb. <laughs> this is stupid. And they're looking at you like you're some kind of a freak. And you're looking at them because they are a freak. How do you navigate through that? Well, part of it is, you know, loving them through it and understanding through it, but you still have to lead and be respected. That's tough. And part of that is going to be ugly. There's going to be some blood and guts. And so I just want to encourage you guys, don't kick yourself because you have these headbutts with your kids when they're teenagers. It will happen. Part of it is a positive sign. They want to lead. They want to be an adult. They are becoming an adult. They're becoming human, some of them. Uh, but I, but I, you know, I've, t- I've talked to my wife about this over the years. You know what? This is kind of the wild Mustang syndrome. They, they need their 40 square miles. They need to run free. They need to be let loose. They need to go and have their own triumphs and make their own mistakes. That's what they need. And we've got them still in this little box of a home and with these guidelines around our household and our regimented schedule through the week. And it's just it, partly painful for them, but it's what is. It's what's going to be until they move on. It's going to be good for them. A little bit of a tough line to walk, but it's just one of those things. So, you know, um, leading our kids. You know, one of the things I want to talk about a little bit later is um, what the Bible says about leading and teaching. Uh, as it talks about here in Deuteronomy 6, um, one of the things we're, we're called to do is to you know, talk about the Scriptures. Talking about the Scriptures. Talking about the Scriptures. What is that? What is it not? You know, I, I, one of the things you and I need to fight against and work away from is just being solely a teacher. We need to avoid being only a giver of instruction. Kids, this is how you do it. Here's what you, we expect. Here's what the Bible says. Here are our rules, and that's it. Especially so if me or you struggle with a couple of those rules. One of the toughest things in households is, you know, when, when we're telling our kids one thing, but, do, but they see something else. Kids, you should be in ministry. Here's what we, we want you to go to church. We want you to do this. And, you know, a, a lot of families are just maybe infrequent when it comes to church or being in the Bible. I, I think the best way to teach is to lead. There's, it's not even close. It's not even close. The best way, the, the only way really to teach, when it, especially when it comes to kids, is to lead. Um, I, I need to be in the Scriptures, plain and simple, but especially so with, with kids involved. I need to be involved in ministry, I need to be at church. It's just, I just need it. I need to be a, a man of prayer and just in, in, in intercession with the Lord about stuff and, and over things. I need to be in prayer. I need that. I need to have a job. It's good for me to not win the lottery. I need to be working. I need to be busy. It's good for me. It's in the Bible. I need to love my wife. I need to forgive people. Let stuff go. Say I'm sorry. I need to bring the Mrs. flowers now and then and date her. These things are all stuff that I need that I can point to the Bible and just my calling and everything else. That's just what I need to do, what I need to be. Twice as much so, though, if I have kids. You might argue, well, you know, um, I, my, my kids, they don't even come to my job, so it's not even really important that I work really hard. Well, actually it is. There's some osmosis effect taking place in our lives with kids. You know, they see a lot of what we do, and they can pick up a lot just by kind of watching us talk and hearing us and, and, and being with us. But, you know, there's, there's something about, you know, if I get up at 6 a.m., 5 a.m., whatever, and I just pray for a while. And then I go off to a morning Bible study and then go to work. And after all that stuff, my kids wake up. There's some osmosis, supernatural effect that happens where my kids pick up on it. I don't have to tell them, hey, you know what? You need to do this and that because, Dad, they just pick it up. Unfortunately, the same thing is true for when I mess up and fall into certain sins. I mean, they don't even have to know about it, and they will just somehow pick it up. Deuteronomy 6, talk about it. Talk about it. One thing that I was touching on was, um, you know, the Bible study thing. You know, I mean, we need to have the Bible in our homes. You know, when, when they're kids, it's pretty simple. You act out these Bible stories, and then when they're mean to each other, you can share Well, the Bible talks about forgiving, and, you know, we love because he first loved us, and it's just super simple when they're younger. When they're older, I think we've got to go sniper, stealth, covert, operative on them. Because, you know, when I, when I and we, we kind of affectionately refer to our family uh, discussions as group therapy sessions. Whenever, you know, something goes awry or someone does something wrong or somebody flips out, I, okay, let's have a group therapy session. They start rolling their eyes, though, when they become teenagers with that stuff. It's just like it just doesn't resonate. The more, even if I hint at formality, it's, uh, I get a little bit of pushback. We're still going to do it. But oftentimes it's best when I go, oh, okay, you know, um, yeah, you just flipped out and did this to your brother or said that to mom or whatever. Okay, looks like we're going to clear our schedule for the next 45 minutes and have a little chit-chat. And and it's just, I mean, it's non-negotiable, and they totally understand. I mean, they opened the door. They bought the ticket, and we're going to sit down, and we're going to work this out. Um, And we will work it out. You know, because um, the worst thing in the world is to let stuff go or to kind of close or avert your eyes or whatever when there are issues and problems. You know, what about like? Well, you know, I don't, I don't feel comfortable opening the word. So I mean, we just kind of we go to church. You know, I mean, we listen to Christian music and stuff. Here's what I think about that, and something that I've learned about that is that is, you know, if I'm not the best prayer, like openly. Or if I'm not the best teacher of the Bible, I think it's all the more reason to pray and open the Bible and talk about the scriptures with my family. I think it's all the more reason because your kids know that you're skilled in certain areas. Maybe it's your fly fishing. Maybe it's your uh, building, sports, whatever. Your your kids know you know at work. Your kids know that you're skilled in certain, and they also will pick up on how you're kind of weak in other areas or uncomfortable. Here's an easy one, saying you're sorry. I bet you if there's one commonality most of us have, it's we don't feel comfortable saying, giving a heartfelt, I am sorry, in front of people. All the more reason to do it especially at home, all the more reason my kids need to see me go, you know what, I I said that thing, I did that thing, Uh, uh, mom, I'm sorry, or junior, I'm sorry, or whatever. Same thing holds true with the scriptures, guys, and praying with our families. I mean, it, it it is so natural to not be comfortable opening the scriptures, especially as they become teenagers, or to say, you know what, this is tough, or mom is sick or that problem's going on, let's pray. It is so natural to not be comfortable with that, but all the more important to regularly do it when the opportunities arise and just stumble through it and let the kids see the sweat beads forming. They're going to learn. They're going to pick up on, oh, yeah, I guess that's not my thing either, but I guess I should do it. Very cool. You know, um, one of the things that we do as, as dads is um, we are faced with this challenge of having our young kids, quote-unquote, help us. Fixing the car, doing yard work, working in the garage. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like when they become, whatever, two, three, four, five, um, we're faced with this challenge of having junior help us. And uh, it's, it's kind of knee jerk, conventional to go, well, I just want to knock this out so I can go ahead and get to that. So, you know, honey, just keep junior for now and I'll just bang this workout. But you know what? You know, part of the currency of parents is time. I mean, this is going to take time. Every single day working through stuff, redoing stuff, fixing stuff. I mean, there will f- forever be dents in my house. Thanks to raising three boys. I mean, I got this shed on the side of the house. I mean, it seemed like every other week I was coming home, there'd be a new dent in it. And I can only imagine. You know, the first few weeks it happened, I'd be like, okay, what happened to the shed? And there'd be this dent. And I can only imagine someone getting frustrated because it's their turn to mow the lawn, and they're just jerking things around. And it's just like I mean, that, that's just part of the currency of parenthood, man. So guys, I mean, yeah, we got to deal with stuff. But seriously, let's not flip out when there is a new dent. You know, when something breaks, it's going to happen. You, we deal with it, but not the end of the world. One thing that surprises me, though, is like in my neighborhood, how many parents over the years... And we've been there for almost 20 years. How many parents um, still mow their lawn? I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, I, there was a period. I, I, just, I just resumed mowing my lawn um, a few weeks ago. Well, Isaiah moved out, so a couple months ago. And it was like, okay, where's the lever? <laughs> I mean, I hadn't mowed in well over 10 years. When, as soon as Silas could, just, just after he started walking, it seemed like. I mean, he was behind that thing, and I was holding my lemonade and snapping pictures. It was a glorious day <laughs> in my life. And, um, but, you know, I mean, it's not like they do it perfect, and I, and I, I have an engineering background. I would always draw diagrams. Okay, now this week you got to do this pattern, and I would write notes on how to water the lawn as clear as I could, and it's still things would get messed up as a part of the gig. And, um... You know, there was one time when we'd go outside and, you know, we, we, I, one of the first things we did after a few years is I, we put this hedge in uh, around the perimeter of the yard. And, we, and they were photinias. You know what those are? Those green plants, red leaves as well. And we put this perimeter around. They were just tiny when we planted them. But after a few years of cultivating, they finally grew and uh, they got big. And so it was time to now start trimming the hedge. And so, you know, but we had the whole family out there. You know, mom was doing stuff with flowers, and I'm over here trimming here, and I gave one of my sons, to be unnamed, a pair of hedging shears. Yeah. And so, uh, and I turned them loose over here on this section. You just trim, you know, here's how you do it. You got it nice and tight, you know, and just flat and just tight edges and stuff, and I'll do it over here. Gave them a couple of examples, and then I turn I go over here. So I turn around, and come back minutes later, and, um, you know, you got this hedge going on, and then there's this, basically, a tunnel cut through the hedge into the neighbor's yard. I mean, he basically cut, I mean, years went into growing and cultivating my 14th. I mean, they're like family. And, and, and this guy goes over there and basically sees this, that would be okay to do it like dad's doing it, but it would be way cooler cutting a tunnel that I could walk through. And so we cut a tunnel in, and I just about lost it. You know how it is when you have your baby, you know, whether it's your hedge or your truck or whatever it is. Great times, man. Great stuff. Great opportunities to sit down and show your kid that you love them more than your hedge, which sometimes, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I, it's, uh, <laughs> but it's a great opportunity. Now, one of the things that I grew up with is, um, you know, a lot of sports, sports. Um, You know, I mean, right now, we're really into soccer. I referee soccer. Um, My kids all played it. Uh, But back as a kid, most of what I did was the big three, basketball, football, baseball, especially baseball, Little League, Babe Ruth. And so, um, and, and like in the summers, my buddies and I, even in junior high, we'd hop on buses and take BART in the Bay Area over to Candlestick or uh, the, the A's uh, Coliseum there, Oakland Coliseum, and we'd watch our, my team. When my team came to town, we would oh, every year at least once or twice go see my team when they played the A's or my buddy's team who was the Giants. And then we'd come back, and for hours, almost daily, for hours, we'd play wiffle ball, Or some variation thereof just that's what we we just love doing it's simple you go two on two one v one we just did that a lot so when my kids as soon as they could we'd go to the backyard preschool kids and we play wiffle ball for hours knocking it over the hedge into the neighbor's yard hooting and hollering i'd always kind of do the the makeshift announcing and we just play that for hours And then when they got bigger, we'd go out in the street in front of the the garage there, driveway street, and we'd draw the diamond and put the bases and have peg outs and draw where the home run marker is. And we would do this all the time. It kind of became a thing. You know, then next thing you know, neighbor kids are coming over and saying, hey, can we play? And it's like, okay, you're on his team and all that stuff. One of my biggest, this is the only thing I'm going to brag about today. One of my biggest life's accomplishments. You're going to think it's dumb. But one of the coolest things, I mean, I was walking around the house like I had hit the lottery for hours after this happened. But just this last summer, I mean, and we again, with my kids, we'd play this wiffle ball. I would do the announcing. We'd make it a big thing, and neighborhood kids would come around. We did this for years. Well, you know, this last summer, you know, my kids are pretty much gone. Uh, the neighborhood kids began coming to my house knocking on my door and saying, can James come out and play? I was like, honey, you're not going to believe this. This just happened. I mean, I was just loving life, man, right there. So we'd go out and do the whole thing. And, and through all that stuff, you know, stuff happens. You know, someone gets hurt. Someone gets pegged in the face. Or someone loses, someone wins. And through all that stuff, we get to talk about it. We get to talk about it. You know what? Yeah, you lost. Too bad. No. Uh, we would talk about, you know, that's a part of playing. That's a part of life. And also, you know, I mean, um, here's one thing we, was, a, was something that we did and were involved in every, uh, every year is sports with our kids, um, you know, I, I, my intention when, I, when my kids were younger was, okay, um, we want to do football, want to do baseball, hoops, and we did do a lot of that stuff after a while, but when they're super young, you can't really do that stuff, uh, in my opinion. When they're five, baseball, that's tough. And so it's like, let's try this sport called soccer um, because it's so simple when they're young, they to go 3v3, micro soccer, let's just do that, it's a good team activity, and then when they're older, we'll do a real sport. That was in my. That was what. That was our plan, and so I coached, and we did this, and then before you know it, we fell in love, never looked back. Now soccer is our thing, uh, but the point is that uh, through this, a couple things happen. You know, I got into it, going, "Okay, this will be a good fun, you know, Sabbath recreational activity," which I think is a great idea. But over time, it's like, "Wow, we're really learning a lot here." There are times my kids want to quit. There are times my kids get a horrible coach. There's a times when a referee makes a bad call, if that were ever possible. Uh, and then, and it would decide games. You know, it would affect them. And I thought, wow, this sport, this playing sports, is worth its weight in gold, if you will. This is great stuff. We get to come home, and they get to learn to win with, hopefully, some dignity. But more importantly, they get to learn to lose. get to learn to lose and walk away with their heads up and having tried their best and believing in their team and trusting in their coach and and just the whole team thing. These are lessons, man, my kids will take with them forever. And we got to go home, uh, on our way home, all muddy from the game, having lost 10 to nothing. Coach doesn't know what he's doing. Referee doesn't swallow the whistle, Bunch of calls blown, and we get to go home going, Man, that was so cool. You know what? You know why that's cool? Is because when dad goes to work, you know, I worked at Intel for years. When dad goes to work, sometimes my boss doesn't make the right call. Sometimes my teammates don't carry the load. Sometimes things just fall apart, and that's what you're learning right now. Keep your head up and continue trusting in the Lord and giving it your best, and showing up, and practicing, and working hard when nobody's looking, and uh, in everything you do. And this is one of the verses we probably share with our kids more than most, and that is, uh, in everything you do, work at it with all your heart as working unto the Lord and not unto man. Everything. It affects everything. Sports, school, ministry, family, chores you name it. And so, you know, sports is great for that reason. Now, within sports, just to talk about it for a second, um, there's a couple aspects to it, right? I mean, um, you know, for some people, sports is life. And whatever sport you wind up getting into, it's going to want to draw you in full bore, right? Around here in Portland and many parts of America, whatever sport you get into, soccer, gymnastics, uh, basketball, what you name it. It will try to draw you in and make you committed to it every week for 10, 11 months out of the year and then be gone half of every weekend and all that stuff. And so every year we would have to pray about, you know, do we want to do club? Do we want to do rec? You know, what level, how many months, what, how much do we want to pay? How much do we want to be committed to this? And so it was something we prayed about all the time. For us, mostly we did rec. Uh, because it was just a better balance for us. But there is so much to learn through all that stuff. Great opportunities, amen? And that's why I think Deuteronomy 6 is talking about not so much so, hey, guys, uh, every Tuesday night at 7 p.m., have a Bible study. That way your kids will learn stuff. No, it's more more saying, you know what, take your kids to the job site. You know, take, Maybe if, even if it has to be on a Saturday now and then. Uh, take them to uh, ministry with you. Take them out to the garage when you're walking to the store or whatever. That's kind of the idea. And through that, talk to them. Let them ask you questions. That is exactly what Deuteronomy is talking about. Because the best way to teach is to lead. There's a couple aspects of ministry that we wound up doing um, and, and you know, I mean, what God's doing in your life may be different, but for us, this is just what happened. Uh, when we moved here, after a couple of years, we uh, stumbled into a friend who told us about this new church that had just started up and uh, that we should check it out. And so we went and checked it out over there at Athe Creek Middle School. It was um, the latter part of 1997, and that's when we bumped into Brett. Within a few months, uh, one of the guys there said, James, we need help in kids' ministry. And I was like, well, you know, I'm more of a, you know, like an adult ministry person, Uh, so uh, probably not. And so he said, okay. A month or two later, he came back and said, James, you know, we really could use some help. Could you kind of help out and do the kids' ministry deal? I was like, okay, let me pray about it, which is code for ain't going to (laughs) happen. I hate doing that stuff. I'm more of a youth group. I can do adult stuff. And then he came back again and said, James, at least temporarily, could you at least try to come in and help with the schedule and classes and all that stuff? And I said, okay, I'll do it for a little bit. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, we've been doing kids ministry ever since then, and, and I love it. It's, it's my favorite thing, and uh, it's, wor- it's, it's, so, it's so fun for me. And, and, and I mean, it's a challenge, but it's great. And, and one thing that we did, you know, that worked for us is that our kids were a part of it. You know we'd go in and Mom and I would teach a class, and then one of the kids would bring supplies, another one would help with games and 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 set up and running the whole class and I just think that's a great model for ministry uh, for most ministries that's possible, where you and I could take our kids along or or they could kind of be a part of it somehow with a lot of ministry that is. That, that's how it can as opposed to, well, I'm a pastor or I'm this or I'm that, see you later, family. Uh, you and I, especially as we pour in, especially you multiple service guys, where you come in here, two, three, four services per weekend, um, what we're tempted to do is drag our kids to everything. Okay, you know, I do this, so you need to do this, and, you know, hopefully there's a good balance there. You know, um, there was a season back at the middle school where uh, we would, you know, they allowed us to come in and start at 6 a.m. So we go in there, open the doors, and set up church every morning for years, Sundays, 6 a.m. So we're getting up early, grabbing all the gear, loading trailers, and we're rushing down, setting up sound and classrooms and everything, starting at 6 so we can start our first service at 8 uh, for a season there. And, um, you know, some guys would bring their kids. Um, I think that that's something we need to be careful with, right? Especially if you have junior hires. You'll go in there and say, hey man, come, time to go to church. It's 5 a.m. Let's roll. Let's roll. Let's roll. And they're like, what? Wait, what? Get away from me. What? And they're grunting and making all these weird noises and smells and stuff to keep you at bay. Uh, you know, part of that is understandable because, you know, I, sh- I don't think I should drag my kid to everything, especially if, he- especially if I become multiple service guy. That's great if God's putting it on my heart, but, you know, you and I need to maintain this balance, even with our work life. You know, I know we have work trips and where we're out of town and we're working late for certain seasons, but, you know, I mean, and that's all great and good, but really, we can pay a steep price if we're uh, neglecting the family, not spending time with the kids, and um, letting things go at home. So ministry is great; that's fun for for a season as well. At Athe, we uh, you know just what the Lord did with us is that we uh, did home groups for a good seven eight years at Athe. At our house, we'd open it up and have people come over back in the early years, and my kids were young, and um, rather than just stick them in a hole or shove them in a room or whatever, it just kind of be, it was a family thing. Mom would do this, dad would kind of get ready, and the kids would kind of set up. We had a couple rooms for childcare, and then the other kids would come over, and they would play, and they would also help watch kids, and then afterwards, they'd come down and eat all the snacks. It was awesome. Great times. Uh, but but you know what? That, that wasn't really a strain. In fact, there, there was a season, too, where, um, just as a side note, because home groups are kind of funny. You know, when you open up your home, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to show up. And most of the time, it was great, and we met some great people, and to this day, we have some, uh, some of the best relationships and friendships Uh, that we'll continue to have for decades because of those home group years. That's just what the Lord did. We met people, connected. There was this one guy, for example. He might even be here. um, He was a single dude at the time. He would come over, and he locked in, and we connected, and he ended up coaching our kids in soccer, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, But uh, he would hang out for hours after our home group. And, um, you know, and it was like, but we all connected. He played with our kids. We would talk to him about life and what the Lord was doing. And, um, and this went on all the time, and it was a Sunday night, and our kids, we'd have to kind of get them to bed, and we're talking, and all this stuff. To this day, I mean, he's, he's like an uncle. I mean, that's almost an understatement of what he's become with our family. Just a small example of what the Lord did through that season of ministry with us. A lot of times, you and I think, well, you know, I, I have kids now. I cannot minister now. I think it's more like I have kids now, I need to pour in. Uh, my ki- I need to pour in right now. I need to go full throttle right now and just make it work. It's like that dilemma we have of, well, I'm not ready to have kids, I need- my finances aren't ready, my this, not that, my work is this. I think, man, when the kids are young, when the family's young, as we have a growing family, that is the hugest opportunity and open door and important time to start pouring in, locking in to some level of ministry. Why? Well, I mean, we're kind of called to to serve one another and be a part of what God's doing, but also there's this certain supernatural thing that happens when I'm serving the Lord. My kids kind of pick up on it. They kind of jump into it. To this day, I mean, my kids have been involved in small group Bible studies and, and um, meetings uh, in college. For years, they were helping, they've helped out, even last night, they've helped out as counselors on kids' camps and uh, other youth events and grade school trips. It's just, I mean, it's just kind of, that's what happened. We started doing kids' camps in 2002, and, um, you know, my kids have been to, I think, pretty much every one. As kids early on and now as counselors, it's just kind of something that happens. So, whatever ministry God's gonna do in your life, um, He's probably gonna work that into your kids' life too somehow. It's just a cool thing that happens. Uh, Sometimes we argue, well, I don't have time. I I would argue we can't afford not to. Um, You know, I mean, what do you want? What do I want out of life? A stronger business? bigger house, more money, or at the end of the day, strong kids that are following the Lord. There's just no, there's no comparison. And I think pouring in while we got them, I mean pouring into the Lord, into the Bible, into ministry, just, just full throttle, uh, man, we're not going to regret those years. We're not going to look back someday and go, man, I wish I would have poured in more to the business." boy, I could have used more money back, though, back then in, you know, 2015. We're going to probably look back and, among other things, go, I, I probably could have spent some more hours with my kiddos just sharing and, and doing stuff. But, I, but I'm not ready for ministry. I'm not a good teacher. I'm not a good that. I'm not ready for all the better reason. You know, Peter could make all these arguments. I'm not good at speaking. Moses could share the same thing. But you know what? The Lord used it. Huge, huge blessing. So, there is the model and the picture in Deuteronomy chapter 6 of just, uh, you know, leading by example, modeling behavior, and teaching and sharing, too, with the kids. But uh, there's this painted picture of uh, doing it, doing the stuff, and having Junior right there with you. So uh, give that some time there in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have uh, some extra time, read through that. There's a ton of really cool stuff in there in Deuteronomy 6. Let me throw out one more thing before we hit the last point, Um, and that is with sports. You know, I mean, if you're not into sports, that's fine. But if you are, you know, I mean, in America, we've got this thing with role models You know, if you watch sports or listen or whatever, I mean, they're always talking about role models. And some guys think, well, they need to be role models because they are skilled in this particular aspect and they make millions of dollars. They're a role model. Just recently, our society, our media, came out and said, well, this person, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, that's a brave person. And we need to honor them because of their bravery. Meanwhile, and I don't know how much press it'll get, but just this past week, there was a guy, and I believe it was just the 12th person in the whole Afghan um, effort, the whole war in Afghanistan, just the 12th person got a medal of honor. Did you guys hear about that? A guy named Florent Groberg. He was a French national, but he uh, basically renounced that uh, citizenship, became an American citizen, became a soldier and a captain in the army, I believe, and was leading this group of soldiers uh, to a meeting of some kind, and they were heading towards this, what they call a choke point. They were going to cross a bridge when two motorcyclists came up, and um, these guys dropped their bikes and then ran, and right then a bunch of guys kind of realized there was, there's something going on. Then there was a person walking backwards towards the soldiers, and this guy, Florent Groberg, realized he's got a suicide bomber vest on. When most people would turn and run, Florent Groberg ran towards this guy, grabbed him, and shoved him down, and as best he could, out of harm's way, right then, the guy detonated this bomb, which had all kinds of shrapnel and metal balls and stuff in it, which shot everywhere. It did... Kill a few guys. There was a second bomber who wasn't able to make it into position because of what Florent Groberg did, and so from behind a tree, that guy detonated his bomb. Dozens of people should have lost their lives, but because of what Florent Groberg did, only a few people did. Uh, Sad as that is, it was a heroic effort. This soldier was knocked back about 15 to 20 feet, knocked unconscious, Half of his calf was blown off, and then he came to and began to crawl back towards his troops with his gun in hand. He needed multiple surgeries, still doesn't have a huge chunk of his calf, uh, but he was definitely a valiant soldier, and for that reason, Medal of Honor. Will he get much press? He probably wouldn't even say that he's a role model, but our society says, well, this person over here, because of their bravery, Caitlin is, you know, should be honored. And throughout the sports world, a lot of, a lot of people say, well, you know, Dez and this person and that person, they're role models and they're doing a bad job. Who in the world thinks that a sports figure should be a role model? I mean, even, even Charles Barkley thinks that's dumb and that's terrible. I mean, come on now. And um, what does the Bible say, though? It doesn't really use that lingo, but it actually does say, parents, moms, dads, if anybody, the Bible's saying we should be the role model. Does that mean we need to be perfect? Fortunately not, but we need to show up. I, th- I think parenting, I mean, it's work. It's not easy, but, but it is simple. you got to show up and you got to try. We're going to mess up. But, man, say you're sorry. Move forward. It'll be okay. you got to show up. you got to try. I mean, I can't hide behind work or behind ministry or behind whatever else for the sake of parenting and leading my kids. Role models. I think that's what, if anything, the Bible would say about it. One more thing I want to hit on. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to flip there, go ahead. If, uh, if not, just tune in and we'll talk about it for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 6. We've talked about the cautionary tale. Uh, we've also touched on some other things such as the painted picture. The last point I want to make is what I will call the info morsel. The info morsel. There's this verse tucked in amongst all these family-oriented verses in Ephesians chapter 6. And... Um, the more you look at it, the more you get out of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, it's easy to kind of gloss right over that, move on, but I think there's a ton there in Ephesians 6, 4, what I like to call the info morsel, Because uh, there it's talking about you know, stuff we, we can identify with or, or would expect to be there, um, um, training and instruction. What does that mean? What is this training, by the way? The Greek word for that is pa- paedia, paedia, and that speaks to uh, nurturing, instruction, chastisement. It also talks about training and education of children. Uh, instilling in their mind morals and, and uh, commands and admonitions. Uh, there, it's a kind of a deep word, kind of broad. But what I want to talk about that we see in that verse, it talks about, and it brings up this word, exasperation. Do not exasperate your kids. In other words, don't drive them nuts. Don't, how do you do that, by the way? They're already nuts. Well, I think you can do it in two ways. I think that verse is for you and I parameters. I think that verse for me and you is upper and lower limits, like your car engine. Uh, it, 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 can, it, it can't run if it's too cold, it can't run if it's too hot. So we got these parameters and we have antifreeze, which is also works as coolant to keep it regulated within these certain parameters. Your kids are the same way. They've got to have, they've got to. They're going to flourish and operate and and, and do well if we hold them within these certain parameters. What are those parameters? Well, quite simply, I think that um, the upper limit, let's just say, is the iron-fisted dad. It's my way or the highway. Do as I say, not as I do. You even blink. And I'm going to come down on you with wrath and judgment. The end. That's how I'm going to run this household. Meanwhile, Dad's a wall, hardly plugged in at church, at work a lot, and um, you know, not loving towards Mom. And uh, you never hear I'm sorry or I love you. It's just iron-fisted dad, man. My, you know the you know what you're supposed to do, your chores, uh, how to respond and answer, probably all that stuff. But that's just way over the top. Kids are not going to, they might obey. They'll probably go to church because you'll kill them. Uh, you know, they might even answer properly because, uh, you know, they want to eat and stuff. By the way, how much discussion should we have with our kids? There's so much that we're not going to have time for this morning. Uh, you know, how much discussion we have, you know, discipline. There's a lot of different things that uh, we won't get into too much, but, you know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, I'll talk to my kids and explain to them why our rules are this way, you know, why we do things that way, what I've learned. The the Bible, again, Deuteronomy 6 even talks about answering your kids when they ask why. I think it's good to do, but it doesn't become a two-hour knockdown, drag-out yell fest. The minute I raise my voice, I just lost, and they've won. And so we need to be careful about that. A lot of times our discussions in our homes would end with, okay, we've talked about this a few minutes, do you see that roof? Do you like that roof? You're going to learn in time, but for now that's how we're going to do things. So the upper limit, you know, just the iron fist, I think we need to avoid that. I mean, sometimes, yeah, I mean, especially boys needs dad up in their business and to get up in their grill. They, They just need it. You're not leading, I'm leading, and you know, I mean, do you want to do this the hard way or the easy way? That shouldn't happen every day, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, so that's the upper limit of this exasperation concept in Ephesians 6, 4. Just no love, iron fist, just, just boom, boom, boom every day. The lower limit, beyond which is also exasperation for our kids, is just the AWOL dad, Oh, my kids will figure it out. Oh, I love you. Honey. It's okay if you yelled at your mom. She'll learn in time. Yeah, she gets mad now and then. You know, yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay. You know, whatever. You, oh, you need more money here. You need a smartphone. You need this. You need a car. You need that. Oh, you don't have to do anything. Just show up and I'll pay you. You do your thing. You go to school when you want. You do chores whenever you feel like it. Whatever. Just a wall no direction, no leadership, just whatever the kid wants to do, he or she has the run of the mill. There's no, lead- you know what I mean? There's that upper and lower limit. I think, I've, that's what I see in Ephesians 6, 4. As exa- Either way, if we go beyond those limits, our kids just kind of get driven nuts in different ways. They'll fly off the handle. They go sideways in, in their own way, if they're not careful. Somewhere in there, though, is that, Godly, biblical, healthy balance where the kids sense love, where they have rules and, and consequences, but still know that you love them. They can see you and your wife love each other. you're hanging out with and playing with them and doing stuff with them. When they break rules or they're mean, there are consequences, but you know they're playing and they're doing, they're flourishing. You guys get to do stuff. Dad has to work late sometimes. You guys go minister together. There's this healthy balance right in the middle where there's no exasperation, but instead there's joy, there's love, there's contentment, there's growth, there's, there's hunger and thirst for righteousness and for the Scriptures. What if uh, you're one of those dudes in here who hasn't yet gotten married, or much less have kids? you know what? First of all, thank the Lord because you haven't made some of the mistakes some of us have made. What I would say to you guys is mistakes not getting married but doing some of the bad things within marriage and and, and raising kids. (laughs) Just to clarify. Um, But um, what I would say to you guys are is uh, for you young guys, for you single dudes is, man, follow the Lord and choose wisely. Don't be all hasty about oh I gotta get hitched and I gotta do this I gotta do that Man, just enjoy what God's doing in your life follow the Lord and then when the time comes choose wisely. If you need help doing that, Dad'll give it to you. Oh yeah, not her, but yeah, that one right there. If you want it, uh, but the real, but the cool thing is you know what all of us have opportunity right now to um to do that to follow the Lord and and to love our kids, love our wives, and to provide a platform and an area within which our kids and our families flourish and grow and bear fruit and uh, enjoy what God's doing. That's God's design, man, to enjoy what He's doing, to flourish and grow and serve and, and, and be a unit. Amen? Dear Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing. God, for giving us your word uh, in which is all that we need for life and godliness, teaching, correction, instruction, rebuke, whatever we need is in your word and I thank you that we can find it. And So if there are gaps in our lives where our kids aren't doing so well or there's some issues in the family, I pray that we would pray but also dig deep in the word, uh, searching earnestly as to what you would have to say, how we can be corrected and how we can grow. So bless us as we go our way. God, help us to grow. Bless our families, strengthen our kids, draw them in and keep them abiding in you, and uh, be glorified through the remainder of this day and as we continue to walk with you. We thank you, God. We love you and look to you in Jesus' name. Amen.